from the almost deserted studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another catch-up episode of Chemical-Free Horticultural Hijinks, You Bet Your Garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Don't have your summer garden planted yet? On today's show, we'll reveal what you still have time to grow successfully and warn you that seeds and plants are hard to find in this seemingly apocalyptic time. And of course, we will take that heap and help it of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and gigantically gallant granulations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you finally growing in the ground right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners, school bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to an all new episode of You Bet Your Garden, coming to you from Lehigh Valley Public Media, the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television, and a pair of bolt cutters that got me in today. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and later on in the show, yes, you still have time to get a garden together and plant some things in it, but you need to know what you're doing and the things, the obstacles, the obstacles that are going to try to get in your way. And we're not just talking about evil squirrels. But before that, we're taking lots of your fabulous phone calls. At 833-727-9588, Sean, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, thank you for being had, Sean. How are you doing? I'm doing as well as one can do in uh, in this quarantine time. Yeah, it's, it's spooky out there. Um, <laughs> and, oh, and where are you quarantined? I am in Portland, Oregon. Well, I mean, if you can get out and walk around, it ain't the worst place to be, pal. It's true. I have enjoyed many uh, walks and uh, many uh, a sunny day here, so I'm happy. A sunny day in Portland. See, that's a, a sign I of know. good things to come. All right. What can we do you for, Sean? Uh, so, well, the reason for my call is that I believe I have uh, verticillium fungus in a section of my raised beds. Okay. Um, <clears throat> had several things planted in the area that just didn't really do too well. Um, you know, I'm kind of an amateur, but just from the symptoms of the plants that I was seeing, they started to wilt from the bottom. Right. Um, and they all eventually ended up dying. Mm-hmm. Um, I did plant some things that I read were resistant to verticillium, like carrots, um, right. which, which did seem to do well. Um, and I guess my question is, is it possible to dig out or remove the soil um, that I believe is infected and replace it with, like, new uh, raised bed soil, or will the bacteria or the fungus persist in the soil? Um, well, you're right to call it a wilt. A ver- verticillium wilt is an organism that lives in soil. Generally, it affects tomato plants the worst. When you plant tomatoes in the same spot over and over again, by the third year, the bottom leaves will turn yellow and the yellowing will progress up the plant. Um, I've I've seen it. I've had it happen to me. I I wouldn't call it a wilt in the classic physical sense of the word. 
So tell me what your raised beds are filled with. Uh, well, I moved into this house a couple of years ago, and some of the beds are just, they just had soil in them already. Right. Um, so those ones, you know, I'm not entirely sure what the makeup is, except for that I add uh, a layer of compost to the top and just lightly fork it in right. each year. So that's what I know is in there. Um, otherwise, I'm not entirely sure of the soil makeup. Okay. Um, and did have you been growing tomatoes in the beds? I didn't grow tomatoes, but I grew another nightshade. I grew uh, eggplant in there. And what happened to the eggplant? Uh, it just didn't really grow too well in that area. The bottom leaves uh, started to yellow mm -hmm. pretty badly, and then I noticed the yellowing kind of just working its way right. up the plant. Um, and then, yeah, it just kind of died off sort of slowly. And how long have you been growing in these beds? This is going to be my third year. Okay. So you could have come pre-contaminated if they grew. Well, I mean, your region is, is very mild. It's very cool. It's very cloudy. How hot do you get in the summer? Um, it's pretty, like you mentioned, it's pretty mild. I'd say there are some days where... 90, maybe like the top out. Uh, last summer, we did get some 100-degree weather, but that's very rare, I think. Right. And how much sun do these beds get? Um, I'd say currently probably like five to six hours. Okay. So, you know, that's not, in a cool climate, that's a little bit light for mm -hmm. a fruiting plant like, uh, like the eggplant you mentioned. Mm -hmm. You said your carrots did well. Yes, yeah, they did pretty well. What about, uh, do you have any other root crops out there? Do you do garlic over the winter? Do you have any potatoes, beets, stuff like that? Um, I have not done any other root crops that are long-season crops, like garlic or onion or anything, just because uh, I, I have limited space. So right. keeping my bed occupied for a while isn't really ideal. Um, I did try potatoes in a potato tower, but I didn't, you know, it's not in right. the same area where the soil is. So what what do you grow? So far, you've only really mentioned eggplant and carrots. Uh, I have a lot of herbs in mm -hmm. that area. Um, I have had some tomatoes do really well uh, in a different section of the garden. Mm -hmm. um, let's see, last year... I also had cucumbers that were doing really well. Um, what else? Uh, some strawberries as well. Uh, didn't produce a ton of fruit, but it was the first year for those. So, If I um, remember correctly, and everyone who's known me since childhood is now laughing hysterically, I think strawberries are vulnerable to verticillium wilt. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, and... and Really, your only true failure was the eggplant, mm -hmm. which is not an easy crop to grow, period. But I would say would be incredibly difficult to grow in your climate. Mm -hmm. Do you have other areas on your property that get more sun? Uh, I don't I care do what's either. there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How about... You continue to grow the plants that have traditionally grown well for you. And get yourself a nice container and fresh potting soil and compost. Mix it half and half. 
pick up some really nice looking eggplant starts because it's too late in the season to start from seed and try growing eggplant in containers. Huge advantages here because you know the plants are not that large. Mm -hmm. So I would say even a 12 inch pot would be totally acceptable. And get a couple of different varieties. Do you like the classic black eggplant or do you like the Asian neon colored varieties? Uh, either is, is really fine, yeah. Well, I would grow a variety, maybe three or four different types and see what happens because those pots will be verticillium free. Mm -hmm. um, and I think maybe the issue is to give them a little more sunlight. I mean, six to eight hours a day is what really what we're talking about. And maybe some more heat. Are you familiar with floating row covers? Uh, yeah, yeah, I could give that a shot. Yeah, if you just got you know, a floating row cover and, uh, you know, pick the sunny spot on your property. It could be on a driveway. It could be on a lawn. And line these pots up next to each other and cover them with uh, a light, lightweight remay. Um, you know, uh, remay is the big brand name for floating row covers. And mm -hmm. floating row covers come in either lightweight or heavyweight. I would pick the lightweight, and then during the day, that's going to concentrate the heat around the, um, the whatchamacallit, the eggplant. Because uh, they, they do love high heat, man. They do love it. And okay. it'll keep any flea beetles off them. And that'll be diagnostic. If the rest of your garden does well according to your climate, I wouldn't worry about it. I would just keep track of where you plant your tomatoes and make sure you rotate them every two to three years. But otherwise, okay. what you said is correct. The only way to get it out of your soil is to empty your beds and refill them completely, which doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. Uh, you know, it, it's going to be, it would be a lot of work, um, but I'm kind of obsessive, so there's <laughs> a possibility that I might give it a shot. Well, yeah, I mean, you can do that. I would do this test this season. And just have fun with other things in your garden. I mean, carrots aren't that easy to grow, but you've got that climate for it. And I would, mm -hmm. where, where you are, I would go nuts with salad greens, too. Yeah, kale does really good, so I'm, I'm uh, happy with the kale production. Yeah, I think that's it, man. Let's do the pot test and um, reconvene next season. I could do that. Uh, thank you. All right, my pleasure. Thank you. You take care and be safe out there. Dale, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you very much, Mike. Well, thank you, Dale. How you doing? Pretty good. And you? I am just ducky. Thanks for asking. And everybody watching us on TV can see that ducky has a brand new protective mask. The old one was covering his <laughs> eyes. So he oh, was yeah. very safe practicing social distance from the lost in space robot. So we're, we're doing our part here in the wilds of Pennsylvania. Uh, where are you, Dale? I'm in Eugene, Oregon, the okay. Willamette Valley of Oregon. Oh, okay, very good. Are you sure you're not Eugene in Dale, Oregon? You know, <laughs> there is actually a town called Dale. I Oregon. knew that. <laughs> All right, what can we do you for, sir? Um, I'm just wondering about my roadies. Um, I, they've been in the ground, uh, you know, more than five years. They used to bloom a lot, and gradually they're blooming less and less. Hmm. I have rhododendrons that were old when I purchased 
the house we live in 35 years ago. And they are monstrous. They bloom up and down, thousands of flowers. And so far, I have not had a flower-free experience with them. Now, it is, of course, possible, but I don't think in your climate what would negatively affect rhododendrons is if the buds started to open and then you had a hard freeze. Yeah. But that's not going to happen where you live. Yeah, right. Now, uh, uh, now uh, uh, when's the last time they bloomed really well? Well, I would say uh, over the last uh, two years, they seem to be blooming less. I have, and so this year there are even fewer blooms on some of these. Mm -hmm. And are they in bloom now? Yes. Okay. Well, most of them, yes. Okay. So have you looked, um, looked at them throughout the season to see for the formation of buds? Yeah, some of them are not forming buds. Okay. And do you prune these plants at all? Uh, uh, yes, um, not heavily. Um, I, I wonder if I'm over-fertilizing. What are you using? I'm using a slow-acting uh, local uh, organic fertilizer here. It's something like a 3-4-2 or a 2-4-3, something like that. That sounds great. Um, uh, but you think you might be using too much of it? Yeah, I might. I've never fed my rhododendrons, but you're sure the first number is two? Oh, no, I'm not sure of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, and it's a general all-purpose slow-release organic fertilizer. Yeah, so it's not going to be overloaded with nitrogen. When yeah, do you prune? Um, I, I do a lot of pruning in January. Well, that's not right. It's not? No. You're cutting. Oh, well, you're saying, no, I don't cut off the, uh, the things that are going to bloom. I might thin out a plant a little bit, but not the roadies. I mean, my spring blooming evergreen shrubs, mm -hmm. uh, I, I've... I don't prune those heavily, and I allow them to bloom. Okay. Is it possible that they have been deprived of sunlight? Are other plants starting to incur on the um, amount of light they get? Well, uh, there is a big tree that uh, probably is gradually providing more shade to some of these areas as well, it grows. Well, just lift it out of the ground and move the tree, man. That's... <laughs> You can do that, Dale, right? Uh, uh, I'm not Superman. Oh, uh, well. Oh, that's probably it. Lack of sunshine okay. e equals lack of blooms. And, yeah. you know, a lot of times this happens. Plants bloom really well while the trees are small. But then as the trees start to get larger, they block that vital sunlight. There's only, you know, there is one Hail Mary pass you can try. Huh. Go to wherever you got your organic fertilizer locally uh -huh. and get a bag of rock phosphate. Uh -huh. This is phosphorus in its most pure mind form. Uh -huh. and, and, and do this soon because uh, like any kind of raw element like that, it's going to take a while to be absorbed into the soil and transferred to a form that the plants can uptake. Uh -huh. But okay. once you apply it, you won't apply it again for three years. Yeah, all right. Because it stays oh. in the Rock soil. Rock phosphate. 
Rock okay. phosphate, yeah. Um, it is a, essentially a pure form of phosphorus, which is the fruiting and flowering nutrient. Uh -huh. sure. After after your uh, roadies are done blooming for the season, I want you to go around and deadhead every every part that had a flower. You know, that might be part of the problem. I have not been deadheading these things. A lot of times, if you don't deadhead, it doesn't inspire the plant to put on a lot of future blooms. But Now, that, deadheading means removing the spent flower? Correct. Uh, That's all. That's all. And you, okay. you probably have some aborted flowers there, just little sticky things that came out where the flower was supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Get I rid do, of those, yeah. too. But don't okay. do any... Don't do any other kind of pruning. All right. All right, Dale? Thank you very much. All right. Good luck to you, sir. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and rejoice that you are listening to an all-new episode of You Bet Your Garden. So don't go out to yell at your evil squirrels for planting black walnuts under your brandy wines just yet, because we'll be right back with ideas for late season plantings and more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute, presenting a beekeeping workshop on Saturday, June 20th. Learn more about the complex life of bees, as well as how to raise and operate a honeybee hive. Contact information and registration at RodaleInstitute.org. Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to an all-new episode of You Bet Your Garden. From the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in the PPNL Media Center in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, more advice for not so much first time gardeners, but people who really haven't gotten started yet. What can you still do? Quite a bit as long as you can find the plants. We'll explain what that means after more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Josh, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. How are you? I'm losing it, Josh. I am. <laughs> I am socially isolated. If it wasn't for my ducky, I'd be, well, I am losing it. So, ducky, you got to do better work. Uh, how are you, Josh? I'm doing good. Um, I, I just trying to get through everything with everybody else, spending a lot more time in the garden. Yeah. Oh, the garden is our great escape. I feel bad for people who don't have something like that to go out to. Where are you, Josh? I'm in Moreno Valley, California. If you take a line from San Diego and a line from L.A., go up from San Diego, east from uh, L.A., you'll find me. If you go east from L.A., aren't you in the ocean? That'd oh, no, west that's west out there. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Backwards. Yeah. I, I keep forgetting that. Um, oh, my. You're in one of my favorite parts of the country. 
I love the Coronado. I love San Diego. I'm one of those crazy people who loves L.A. It's the only place on the West Coast where people kind of act like they're New Yorkers. <laughs> yeah, uh, where I'm at, I, I get um, basically the full desert. We had a couple of a days two years ago where it was 117 for four days straight. Oh, yeah, yeah. You don't have to go far. People are surprised because yeah. San Diego is so mild. But once you start going inland, things can get scary fast. It, it does, yep. Nope. Absolutely. All right. So what can we do you for, sir? So I have a question on mulch, and um, I, I stay away from um, the, the dyed mulch. I, when I very first started my garden, I used some dyed mulch in a walking path, and I've, I've stopped doing that uh, after listening to your show. Right. Uh, but my problem is, is I can't. My I I can get arborist wood mulch, but right. I, I can only get it in quantities that are kind of overwhelming. Right. Um, so. I just got some chickens back in my yard as well, and I was looking. I put some pine shavings down for their bedding, and I was like, you know, this stuff would make phenomenal mulch. Before I do that, let me call Mike <laughs> yeah. and see if there's something I haven't considered. What are you mulching? So, so I have a double problem. One, my my garden bed, the the arborist wood mulch that I had has basically broken down, and I have now have a lot of bare soil. Right. And where that arborist wood mulch was is now a plant called spurge that is taking over. Huh. Um, and I, I cannot pull it fast enough yeah. to keep it coming up, so I have to mulch it quickly. Um, that So the garden bed and the garden path. What are you going to be growing in the bed? Um, I already I already have stuff growing because it's, you know, it's 80 I know, degrees your season so, is what um, you have to avoid the summer to some degree. Yeah, so I've got tomatoes, I've got potatoes, I've got broccoli, broccoli broth, uh, onion, garlic, you name it, I'm growing it. Long term, because of your climate, um, have you heard me talk about soil solarization? Yes. Um, and, and the other part of this long term is we're only going to be in this house for another year, so I'm also trying to just kind of get through uh, the heck with it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, pine shavings would be analogous to arborist mulch. When I've spoken on the West Coast and up in Colorado and stuff, I realize there is a, a lack of fall leaves to be the dry browns that make such great compost making and, and mulch. Right. Is there any chance that you have access to pine straw in your garden centers? Um, not that I've ever seen. And I, I work closely with one because I'm a microgreens grower and I get my soil from them. And I've never seen them have pine straw. Ask them about it. Uh, pine straw is the mulch of choice in the south. And okay. where, where you won't see this crappy dyed wood mulch. Sure. And there's a guy, uh, I think he, his company is called Mid-Atlantic Pine Straw who's trying to bring it up to the Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, New York region, and dropped off a couple of bales for me to play with it. And my Diane and I uh, just finished mulching our garden with it, and it is beautiful. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the plants that are mulched with shredded leaves and the ones that are mulched with pine straw, and I love the look of the pine straw. It's highly ornamental. So now where you are, uh, you got palm trees, right? Right. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a couple. I, I live in an HOA, and they love the uh, your your favorite tree, a silver maple, in my particular. Oh no! Yeah. Oh God forbid that it grows there, you poor guy. Uh, we've got two in my yard alone, and I'm not allowed to take them down. No, but at least you got some leaves. 
every now and then. The problem is, is we also get the Santa Ana, so they typically get blown into the gutter. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, if that's what you got, you, you know, my first choice would be pine straw or pine fines. But you're already buying the um, the shavings in bulk, right? Yeah, because I got my chickens. And you got your chickens. Boy, how'd you get away with that with the HOA? <laughs> well, they don't know about the chickens. I was going to say, do they wear little disguises? Do you pretend they're <laughs> like small and children no. who just walk funny? You know? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a renegade with the HOA. I'll do what I can get away with. Good. And now you can wear a mask. You're supposed to. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Life is good sometimes. Now, the arborist wood mulch, I realize that's too big a load for you. If you were going to stay in your current location, I would suggest you get it delivered anyway and shovel off what you need as you need it. And then two, three years down the line, when you get to the bottom, that's going to be nice compost, just like right. the, uh, the chips turned into in your garden. Yep, absolutely. So think about that with your next uh, project. Yeah, the the next plan is absolutely at the next house to uh, to do a full arborist wood uh, wood chip mulch for the for the garden bed because uh, we're looking at flag the Flagstaff area. Oh, 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 so you're moving you're moving up from 113 to 120 in the summer. Well, go north Flagstaff. Yeah, it, sh- it shouldn't be quite so bad, but um, the Flagstaff area we we want a little more than um, hot and slightly hotter season wise. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, good luck to you, sir. Thank you. I actually have one other question, if you have the time. Real quick. Um, so I'm a microgreens grower, and I have all my spent microgreens trays at the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been looking for a way, something to do with those, and every time I've tried composting them, I just end up with a million volunteers at the end of the process. Um, so I'm wondering if spent compost trays make good worm food and how many worms I would need to process it. Um, I would think not because there aren't it's, – it's, you've eaten the garbage, so to speak. You've eaten the greens. Yeah, I was wondering because there's always a little bit left on them, especially mm-hmm. if, and then there's the PCs and the root matter. Root matter. Right. So I was wondering if any of that would be any good, or if it's just, there's just not enough. Well, I do microgreens, and what I do is I just mix it into my compost piles um, when I'm finished with it. And if you don't have a compost pile, I would mix it. What do you do with your chicken droppings? Um, they, it, they actually have a whole area. The other part of this is I do 60 trays a week. I'm a, I'm a commercial grower. Oh, so, excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Um, I would, I would end up and why do you think it, <laughs> why do you think it can't be reused? Um, so I grow entirely indoor and there's almost always some kind of a mold or a fungus on the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the stuff that I grow, there's a lot of seeds that don't necessarily germinate. Right. So every single time I cut a tray, if I leave it for a week, I get another 10, 20, 30 plants coming up, or maybe 100, 200 plants coming up, where there would have been 2,000. So there's right. always things that come back. Okay, so my suggestion is you find a spot outside in dappled shade um, and pile up all your, quote, used soil there. Mm-hmm. Uh, let it cook out there for about a month, and then use it again. Okay. Cool. You know, it I'll should, it, as long as you're, you know, use a little gentle liquid organic fertilizer, although, as you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm my, not using any. I'm, I'm using an organic potting soil, so the only thing I put on my microgreens is water. Yeah, because what people don't realize is the seed is the food. Right, exactly. That's why they're, two to, you know, I think the range is two to 70 times as nutrient-dense as the adult plant by weight. 
So if you're having mold problems, you know to cut back on your watering, but there's also right. an old seed starting trick. Uh, put a thin layer of milled peat moss on top, and that will inoculate the soil against mold. Oh, that's a really nice trick. I didn't know that. Okay, awesome. All right. I'll do that with my sunflower, because my sunflower is the most, uh, most prone. All right. Well, good luck to you, sir. Kate, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Well, thanks, Mike. It's good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you, Kate. How are you doing? I'm doing uh, well as well as everybody else is, I suppose. Yeah, exactly right. Whenever I go into the store or something and the clerk says, how are you? And I go, same as everybody else. Yeah, but you know what? We're learning a lot of new things, and that, that, I guess that's a good part of this. So. <laughs> yeah, we're learning where the wallpaper is starting to peel in our we, homes. So. <laughs> we certainly are. <laughs> All right. Where are you, Kate? I'm in Ardmore. Okay, just outside yes. of Philadelphia. Yes, uh-huh. A lot of local um, callers today. Yeah, well, we've had our share of excitement lately, so um, we're looking to get back to the garden and have a little a peaceful time outside. I hear that. What can we do you for? Well, I am going to apologize um, up front for asking a question that you've had a million times, and I think it's like when you're in the car and you, you're not driving, you don't pay much attention until you need to know the directions yourself. <laughs> but um, we are um, having, obviously, some extra time at home and have gone for raised beds in our backyard. Excellent. And so um, we've had our soil delivered. We've built our boxes. We have two that we've constructed that are four by eight and four by five, both mm -hmm. 16 inches tall. Mm -hmm. And um, we're ready to go. However, we have been um, doing what a lot of people are doing and looking at YouTube things and just making sure we're doing uh -oh. things right. But we're trying to come to the guru of, of raised beds. And um, we saw something that we didn't think was great, but we thought we would ask you. And we're, we're wondering, we've always heard you talk about just putting cardboard in the bottom um, of your raised bed. And these people were suggesting that you could put all kinds of things that, uh, like, you know, sticks and branches and... Old car um, parts. All yeah, all kinds of stuff. And I know it's getting rid of things that municipalities are not collecting you know, currently, but um, I, it didn't seem right, and we wanted to make sure that we were beginning in the in the very best way. I can only imagine that the people you were watching are practicing a form of permaculture called hugelkultur. Okay. And this involves mounding up wood yeah. and covering it with soil and putting plants in it. And right. theoretically, as the wood decomposes underneath, it'll release its nutrients and you'll have more of a, quote, permanent culture. Um, I'm not a fan. Okay. Uh, there, there's too many issues with wood, especially when it gets mixed in with soil, then it really is absorbing the nitrogen right. that your plants would like to use. I also think it's unnecessary. If you have a little bit of land and you have sticks and this and brush, just pile it up somewhere. Um, I did that years and years ago just because I didn't know what else to do with this stuff. Yeah. You know, dead branches and everything. And then I got this giant-sized tumbling composter to test, and I had to move my branch pile. Well, underneath at the bottom was like three wheelbarrow loads of the most beautiful compost I've ever seen. Okay, yeah. So my advice is just... Um, 
pile it up. Pile it up and let it uh, let it decay naturally. Okay. It's also great for wildlife. You yeah. Know, birds can yeah. hide in there and stuff. Yeah. So, um, yes, my system for raised beds, and I'm not just talking, I'm walking, because we just redid uh, most of my raised beds last spring. And what we did, exactly like I tell people, now this was already a garden, so there was no lawn to deal with. Right. But if you are starting out in an area that used to be a lawn, you want to scalp it. You want dirt blowing out the back of the mower. Right. Then you lay down a single sheet of cardboard, okay. preferably like big, thick cardboard like they use to ship refrigerators in. Yes, that's exactly what we have. Yeah, and then you put your soil, uh, your soil mix on top of that. If you just have topsoil, I would advocate using a big bag of perlite. In. We, we do. We actually bought, got some perlite and we have some leaf mulch to mix. In also. When you say leaf mulch, is it fully composted? Yes. Oh, okay. So you don't see any leaves anymore? No. Excellent. No. Excellent. So that's compost, baby. Yeah. Well, we've been working at it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, topsoil plus compost plus perlite makes an excellent growing medium. Your beds are all the right size. Okay. And the cardboard prevents emerging weeds during your first season. But then because it's being watered and everything like that, it degrades away. Right. And so it doesn't interfere with you growing plants that like to have deep roots. But you say your your beds are 16 inches tall. That's mazel tov. That's amazing. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, Make sure you grow some potatoes in there. You're going to get a lot of spuds. I was going to ask you for a recommendation for the vegetable patch. And the answer to that is grow what you like to eat. Yeah. I happen to really favor lots of potatoes okay. uh, because they're just so easy to grow. And you have never eaten a fresh potato unless you grow them. Well, I actually ate fresh ones right out of the field in Prince Edward Island, so I know what you mean. And that's a great potato growing region. Yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, save one of the beds for garlic this fall. Just okay. make sure you order your garlic early and okay. you specify it's for fall planting. Okay. Because I expect this run on seed companies to continue. All right. Okay. Could I ask one more um, quick thing? <clears throat> you had, um, I, I think I've heard you say that it's best to establish these uh, beds in the fall. Oh, no, that doesn't matter. Um, okay. The reason I tell people to build their raised beds in the fall is summer's over, the weather's nice, and if I don't give them constructive things to do, they're going to go prune all their plants and kill them. Okay. Well, I could do that anyway, any old time of the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, spring or fall is fine. Okay. That's great. Thank you so much, Mike. I really appreciate it. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and remind you to rejoice that you are listening to an all-new episode of You Bet Your Garden. So don't go yelling at the deer who are eating your dahlias just yet, because we'll be right back with late season planting tips and more of your mid-season phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania.
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to this all-new episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll be giving advice for people who are just getting started now or maybe even just thinking about getting started. You can still have a garden, but there's a couple of things that you really have to do correctly. And with any luck, I'll name those couple of things after a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Bob, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Welcome. Hi. Hi. How are you, Bob? Good. How are you doing today? I'm just ducky, thanks for asking. And uh, where's Bob good? Bob's good in Hazleton, Pennsylvania. Okay. What can we do for Bob in Hazleton? Uh, on one of your previous shows, you were discussing uh, whites used for growing plants indoors. Right. And... Uh, I had run into a a case a number of years ago where I was in an office building where they replaced the lighting in it, and it was the uh, fluorescent lighting. Right. And the newer lighting, which has the uh, the thinner light bulb tubes. T8s. The T8s, correct. Uh, They installed those, and when they installed them, I found out that they use an electronic ballast or uh, transformer with them. Yes, yes. All... They're more... Energy efficient. Right. All, uh, all fluorescent lighting uh, needs a ballast. Even those terrible uh, corkscrew CFLs that, uh, thank goodness, have been replaced by LED systems, uh, that big base, that's where the ballast was in those. Right. They, uh, the transformer to get the voltage down lower. But anyway, right. uh, when they install those, I noticed that on the radio in the office, I was getting interference on certain radio stations. So I checked with the uh, local FCC office out of Philadelphia. I happened to have a uh, email contact for a gentleman down there. And uh, he investigated it. He, I gave him the uh, serial number and the, the product number off of the ballast. And that's where I found out that there's two different grades for the uh, ballast. Oh. They have a... Uh, FCC classifies as either, either Class A, which is rated commercial, which does not have the shielding or filtering on them, and there's FCC Class B, which are consumer rated, which does have the shielding. And any of this uh, interference that comes off of these ballasts can cause interference with anything wireless. So if you're having, uh, if you have cell phones, cordless phones, Wi-Fi. Uh, radio or TV signals, uh, it, it can cause interference to any of those devices. Well, and, and this uh, is really important because a lot of people who are getting into seed starting um, want to start big, so they'll get a four-tube shop light type structure, and they'll probably get it at home Despot or Lowe's, and... You know, it never occurred to me 
that the commercial class and the consumer class would be so different. Uh, but clearly, you want to do due diligence and research, and perhaps is it even on the the packaging? Do you think the, the most most packaging that I run into does have it on it, but not necessarily. Uh, I had to replace a uh, in a different office now uh, a two tube fluorescent light in the one room, and I wanted to go to a four tube. Right. So I did some research and I found that none of the three electrical suppliers in the local area even stocked the FCC Class B consumer rated items. Hmm. So they're, they're technically they're supposed to ask each and every customer if they're, where they're using it and sell them the proper FCC Class item and they're not doing that. Hmm. And surprisingly... When I mentioned this to the people selling the items in the suppliers, they weren't aware of it. And two of the places, they told me, oh, well, we can't get cell phone service inside our building. We have to go outside. And I said, well, if you turn your fluorescent lights off in your building here, you'll get cell phone service. And that's a great diagnostic tool if you've yeah. got a seed starting set up or you're growing plants indoors under lights and you find that the radio is acting funky or your computer isn't getting a good signal or your cell phone is off, just turn off the light and see if it gets better. But, um, you know, I've often noticed over the past decades how almost everything electronic comes with a warning that this could cause interference with other electrical devices. And then there's a whole series of numbers where you can you know, I guess, research it. And the fact that you went to the FCC, that is fabulous. This is really useful information. And I will be happy to repeat it um, every seed starting season after this or whenever anybody asks me about uh, growing indoors under lights. But I, I also imagine the problem would not occur with LED systems. Well, LEDs... They have ballasts, and they also, the LEDs themselves can radiate this interference, huh. depending upon how they're manufactured. Some of them do, and some don't. Oh, and that's I a, haven't. what a crazy, I thought the world was crazy already, and now here I am, 30 years of seed starting, and I'm learning something new. Uh, one place that you'll find this, this interference, too, the electronic signboards that are out there, they're LEDs. And okay. most of them, when you're within a certain distance of them, you will get this interference off of them uh, as well. What, what kind of LED? Buses, I didn't catch your word there. The, the, these uh, message boards. Oh, okay, boards yes, I know what you mean now. Them. Yeah. And even right. our local, the local buses have, you know, LED signs on them. Oh, our, uh, one of our local churches has a hilarious one. They change it every week, but the last time I drove by, it said, sign broken, come inside for message. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, sir. This is, uh, this is real food for thought. It's very important. And, um, hey, you taught an old dog a new trick. Thank you, man. You're very welcome. All right. As promised, it is time for the question of the week which we are calling Attempting to Ensure Late Season Success. Kristen, 
in Springfield, Delaware County, just outside of Philadelphia, writes, is it too late to plant asparagus? I'm making a new raised bed that's 12 inches deep, two feet wide, and 16 feet long. And can I interplant strawberries with the asparagus? I've been reading conflicting information. Some sources say to plant nothing else with asparagus, and others say to just plant the asparagus deeper and the strawberries shallow. Help! If it is too late to plant asparagus and or strawberries this year, is there anything else you would recommend planting now so the bed doesn't lay fallow? I also read not to plant any tomatoes, zucchini, or cucumbers. Is that right? Thanks for your help. Well, I think that you'll find the asparagus decision has already been made for you. Many traditional sources of the plants whose inventory often lasts into July were sold out months ago. So it's unlikely that you'll find asparagus crowns for sale this season. The novel coronavirus we are all fighting has created a huge generation of new gardeners, whether out of boredom, fear of food shortages, or boredom. Anyway, you'll probably have to wait until next season to purchase the plants that will eventually give you an annual harvest of that peculiar spring perennial that makes your pee smell weirdly funny. And that is a good thing because it gives you time to think about variety choices. Many people wish to activate the Wayback Machine and grow one of the old original open pollinated strains of asparagus like Martha Washington, which requires extra work because you have to remove the berries that form. My advice, especially for beginners, is to grow one of the more modern hybrid varieties, the names of almost all of which begin with the word Jersey, like Jersey Night. That's right, cats and kittens. We may never know what variety is the original Jersey tomato, but the Garden State has a virtual lock on asparagus. Hmm, but I digress. What a shock. Anywho, you would not be remiss to review your options now choose a variety, and reserve an appropriate number of crowns for next spring. And spring is pretty much the only time the crowns are available. And the plants need time to settle in, grow over the summer, and absorb some solar energy for edible spears to appear in the following seasons. And be aware that asparagus is like a fruit tree. You need patience and an understanding that the first couple of years come with training wheels. You can taste your pea grass the first year, harvest a few spears in year two, but you have to wait until year three to pluck away with relative abandon. Now, crowns are what we call the octopus garden-type roots. You bury them in super-rich soil in the spring. Here's where you can safely use a load of composted horse manure, true believers. And then you wait. By year three, again, you can harvest the new young spears, and you should do so by snapping them off at the soil line as opposed to cutting them. Stop harvesting when the new spears that appear are thinner than a pencil. And if you don't know from a pencil, ask your grandparents. Yay, boomers. The biggest enemy of perennial asparagus beds is weeds. So a correctly prepared brand new raised bed should be perfect. And strawberries too? I went online and read all sorts of theories about interplanting the bed with other crops. I suspect the authors are apartment dwellers who can't keep a houseplant alive. 
As Mick Jagger famously sang, you gotta walk before you can run. And as he told me backstage at the Spectrum in 1975, you should also diversify your financial portfolio. Again, I digress. I gotta start getting out more often. This is starting to make me too squirrely. Anyway, grow your asparagus alone. As to the crops of summer you reference, you have to stop randomly stalking the internet for information. Although this advice comes tinged with the same thoughts as asparagus's availability. That said, as of the day I am recording this show, which is the 1st of June, there's still plenty of time to plant tomatoes, peppers, cukes, and zooks. But there are two requirements. First, you have to purchase large plants, ones that were started at the same time as the others that were available months ago, but that have been progressively moved up into bigger containers. We're not talking plants in six packs here. We're talking about plants in medium to large size individual containers. And as the days get warmer, be sure to plant your new crops in the evening as opposed to the morning to give the plants plenty of time to get over any transplant shock before they take a full day of sun. Now, you also have to find these plants in a season where there has been an unprecedented run on food crops. And it's late in the season, very late. So be diligent. Call or email every independent garden center near you. Reach out to local small-scale farmers. And if all else fails, turn to big box stores or franchises. Believe it or not, some of my pepper plants this season came from a surprise find at a local Ace Hardware store next to the only supermarket near me that was selling decent red wine. Yes, the plants were infested with aphids, the wine was fine, but I used sharp sprays of water and they look fine now. And stock up on seeds for your fall crops like spinach and lettuce while they're still available. We can't grow our own toilet paper, but we can sure as Hades grow our own food. Well, that sure was some interesting advice on how to get started late in the game now, wasn't it? Luckily for those of you who wish to read this information over in detail, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be, youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week where, kids? At the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer has threatened to pinch my pepper plants if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please, please, please include your location. You'll find all of this contact information, plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, aye, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website, youbetyourgarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. 
Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when a message to his home planet Mars accidentally transported him to Earth, where he became a founding member of the Justice League of America, but doesn't seem to own a shirt. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airwaves is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer, back from whatever he was doing at home, is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is Judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Eric Werner, uh, he's off on a shoot someplace. I don't know what's going on with him. But we had help from Zach the Tack Wisniewski, John Flynn, and, oh, and Charlie. Charlie was here, too. Continued thanks to our fearless leader, CEO Tim Fallon, who either keeps allowing us to come in to take new material or still has no idea that we're sneaking in here. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, saying keep your tomatoes dry, your peppers hot, and your potatoes buried while you play an old John Prine album and eat a lot of peaches. And I'll see you and all the other angels from Montgomery next week. Hey, boy. Hey, boy. Where's the ball? Where's the ball? <gasps> Ready? <gasps> Go get it, boy. That's a good boy. Drop it. Drop it. Good boy. Good boy. Loyal partners. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. What can you expect to hear next week? Hilarity, bad jokes, a small amount of useful information, and me as long as these bolt cutters keep working. Boy, you know, this station must buy locks by the dozen. I'm Mike McGrath, and that's probably on the next You Bet Your Garden. Maybe. Plus your fabulous phone calls. Uh -huh.